The views and opinions expressed in this podcast may be triggering and don't necessarily reflect the views of myself or Blue Matter Project. Please note that I'm not a licensed therapist or a doctor, and all opinions of our guests are for informational purposes and should not be considered medical advice. For any questions about your own health, please consult a medical professional. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Mindful Matters podcast. Thanks for tuning in this week. Today, I'm speaking with a guest who is the author of the international best-selling and widely translated book, You Were Not Born to Suffer. My guest today is Blake Bauer, who has an extensive background in psychology, alternative medicine, nutrition, traditional healing, mindfulness meditation, and Qigong. And based on both his personal experience overcoming deep suffering, addiction, and adversity, as well as his, as his professional work with tens of thousands of people, his teachings integrate what he's found to be the most effective approaches to healing. And today we're talking about his book, and this book, in my opinion, is a practice. It's not just one of those books that's going to sit on your shelf. It's one of those books you will return to again and again, and it will shift the way that you think about your own pain and suffering. Let's jump right into the conversation today. Welcome to the podcast. Blake Bauer, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, hi, Elaine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited we were able to make this work. I love your book. I have a copy with me here on my desk and I have little sticky notes peeking out and highlighted sections. And I wanna start today with your book. This is one of those books that I wish I had picked up 10 years ago when I was feeling some really deep emotional pain and suffering and I was self-sabotaging in so many ways. So let's start here today. Tell us what was the inspiration to write this one and why this title? Mm, well, that is a very loaded question. Um, so the book came about after uh, a number of years of my own personal healing and searching for clarity around questions like, how do I heal myself? Uh, how do I free myself from suffering? And what's the purpose of my life? And those questions arose out of uh, a very painful and traumatic uh, childhood um, that when I uh, became a teenager, I turned to things like uh, drugs and alcohol to self-medicate and self-soothe and to survive socially. And those habits uh, became addictions and became quite uh, extreme um, self-destructive behaviors for me to the point where I was arrested a number of times before the age of 18. And I also played sports uh, growing up and I was the uh, captain uh, of the varsity football team in high school with two of my uh, closest friends. And we all had offers to play uh, college football. And uh, one night I was coming home from a party and had taken uh, a couple Xanax pills and drinking, you know, at least, let's say, a dozen drinks at the time and been smoking a bunch of marijuana. 
and uh, and driving, which was uh, obviously not healthy and very reckless. And um, I was heading home around three o'clock in the morning uh, one night, and I got to a freight train in the middle of the night, and um, I, you know, came to a stop and uh, pulled up to the guardrail and was so out of it and delirious that I was starting to fall asleep. And thankfully, I put my car in park and I put my head back and I did in fact fall asleep. And uh, I woke up to police knocking on the window and was very confused and had no idea what was going on. I rolled down the window and I said to the officer, excuse me, officer, was I driving too slow? And the police officer said, son, you've been parked here for at least an hour with the car running and the lights on at the train tracks. And we you know, got a phone call from this house right here. So I was arrested and I got a very bad DUI. And uh, after that, I was kicked off the uh, football team and lost the offers I had to play college football. And I was 17 going on 18 at the time. And this was the beginning of my uh, healing crisis and my dark night of the soul. And then my awakening, I um, spiraled downhill pretty badly from there to the point where I was suicidally depressed and very uh, tortured mentally and emotionally every day. Um, I had felt as though I had shamed myself in the community and with my closest friends and uh, you know, just found myself in a very dark place, not feeling very good at my, about myself. And so um, at 18, you know, there's a lot of existential questions that start to arise for people. And, you know, sometimes they come around that time and sometimes they come a little bit later. But for me, they were pretty intense and strong. And so... Here I am at 18 years old, tortured mentally and emotionally, uh, had completely sabotaged everything I loved and everything that I identified with, and uh, was also supposed to figure out what to do with my life. You know, was I going on to college? And if so, what was I going to study? And if I'm going to go to work, you know, how am I going to make a living? And, um, you know, I, and I was absolutely confused and lost at the time. But that, uh, those experiences and that state that I was in gave rise to two primary questions, which were, how do I heal myself and what's the purpose of my life? You know, why, literally, why did I come to the planet? And those two questions led me to uh, five different universities looking for answers to those questions where I studied things like, uh, philosophy and psychology and nutrition and then eventually things like Chinese medicine so acupuncture and oriental or Chinese herbal medicine and Western herbal medicine um, you know I read a lot of books like a lot of people on the healing and spiritual and personal development journey you know uh, do and you know devoured probably hundreds if not thousands of books on health and well-being and consciousness and uh, personal growth, uh, etc. And then I gravitated towards practices like yoga and meditation and got very deeply involved in spiritual practice because I was waking up every day so tortured mentally and emotionally that I had to find things that could help me. And I got very lucky to find sitting meditation when I was 18. And I would say that that practice uh, literally saved my life and gave me the strength to carry on. And 
through this search for healing, for clarity of purpose, for you know the answers to life's most important questions, uh, eventually I had a series of realizations where I could see that most forms of suffering and physical illness come from us never learning how to love ourselves as children. And it was really clear to me, I could see how disease grows in the body and the mind from us never learning how to love and value and accept and forgive and believe in and trust ourselves starting in childhood. And I just wanted to share those insights with as many people as possible. And so the next thought was, I have to write a book. And I had no idea what that process would entail. And, uh, but that was the beginnings of the book. And then the title, you know, You Were Not Born to Suffer, came from this uh, phenomena I experienced in my darkest moments, which was this intuitive and instinctual knowing, this, let's say, wisdom inside of me that felt like life wasn't meant to be as painful and dark and heavy as I was experiencing it to be, but I didn't know how to get out of it. And then eventually over you know a number of years when I started to work with other people, I just naturally found myself saying to people, you know, we didn't come here to suffer. So let's figure this out and let's address X, Y, and Z. And you know, I promise I know we can make this better if we look at these things. And so when it came time for the book, I just felt like you were not born to suffer was a message that, um, that I could stand behind for a long time. I love that. And I, I feel that that's such an important message because we can become really addicted to suffering. Can you agree to that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it absolutely is an addiction. It's a habit. It's like the saying, you know, misery loves company because mm -hmm. as we do heal and uh, look for joy and, and find deeper levels of joy, then we become face to face with people we love and care about who are suffering and struggling. And then we come we have to face things like guilt inside of us like am i doing something wrong for wanting to be healthy and happy when the people around me are struggling or people in the world are struggling and so it, it's a major major obstacle mm -hmm. yeah i love that and in the work you do you cover so many topics that i'm i'm so passionate about you know health healing spirituality and all the tools that come in these toolboxes and before we take a, a deeper dive into these topics today, I'd love it if you could maybe walk us through some of those most profound, profound healing steps that you took in your journey. Absolutely. Well, I would say that, like I touched on in the beginning, I would say that um, meditation was probably the most important. And that was because I was waking up every day, you know, from the moment I would wake up, you know, open my eyes you know, feeling tortured mentally with so many different thoughts and, you know, conflicting thoughts, contradictory thoughts going in different directions. And I, you know, most people I know can relate to this when you wake up in the morning and your mind is like a wild horse, except there's not just one wild horse, there's a dozen or two dozen wild horses and you're being spread in different directions as they kind of drag you inside mentally, emotionally and energetically. And so most of us feel very spread thin, you know, before we even open our eyes in the morning. And that's that was my reality. And so when I learned to just sit with my body and my breathing 
and notice when my thoughts were running and then be able to come back to my breathing and my body and not get carried away by my thoughts and learn that I didn't have to be the victim of my thoughts. And then eventually, and I'm I'm sure a lot of your listeners know this already, but maybe some don't, when I learned that I wasn't my thoughts, that I wasn't the voices in my head, that I was the awareness and the consciousness from which the thoughts arose and that awareness that surrounded all the thoughts, that I could always access that space once I learned how. And like most people, I just never learned how. So for me, learning meditation at 18 years old and learning how to train my mind was probably the single most effective and important thing that I came across. Um, I also then got very into yoga um, and that helped me a lot because prior to that, my relationship to my body had been very aggressive. You know, growing up as an athlete in the Western world in America, you know, I played football, I played hockey, they were all very aggressive sports. Um, You know, I worked out in the gym a lot and would uh, use too much too heavy of weights. So I was very hard on my body. So I actually herniated two discs in my back when I was 18 that basically uh, rendered me unable to do anything. And then I got into yoga and and that was a big part of uh, healing on a lot of levels. Uh, I lost a lot of weight. My body started to purge repressed emotions and trauma. Um, So yoga was was a great practice for me. Um, I went to school for Chinese medicine eventually, and that led me to learn a practice called Qigong, which is very similar to Tai Chi, if there's a listener that's not familiar with it. And, uh, you know, Qigong is the foundation for all Chinese medicine, so acupuncture and oriental medicine. And and in my experience, it is the most effective Uh, and most powerful form of self-healing on the planet because if we look at disease and depression in terms of stuck energy, stuck blood, and stuck emotion, and that would include stuck trauma, in my experience, there's nothing more effective for unlocking the flow, unlocking stuck blood, stuck energy, stuck emotion, stuck trauma in the body. It's just a very gentle um, form of uh, kind of a moving meditation exercise that unlocks your joints and your energy channels and your circulatory system. And, and that was a really big uh, part of my uh, process and, uh, and my healing journey. And now it's something I teach at all my retreats and, and events. So something you say, which I love, is that at some point we have a choice we have to choose between self-respect or self-pity, and we can't have both. We have to realize that no one is coming to save us or fix us, and that we may never get the apology or the support or the love that we're seeking from that person who hurt us. And so the framework for healing really becomes about choosing, making the choice to do whatever it takes to find healing through those painful experiences or traumas. And I'm wondering if you just have anything that you want to add to that. Absolutely. Um, I think that as you grow and as you heal and your state of mind and presence, you know, deepens and strengthens every day, 
you realize that every day, it's, and it's literally moment by moment, life gives you this choice. And we get to choose how we think about any and every situation and how we choose to think about any situation basically holds the power to set us free or to keep us trapped. And we all have this superpower that we don't realize that we have. And that superpower is that you can actually choose your thoughts. And again, that brings me back to the importance of something like meditation, where you get in touch with and you cultivate that ability that you have. But when we let our mind run, and we let's say we let a story run throughout the day about how we're the victim and how we've been wronged and thus blame or complain about other people or situations, every time we allow those thoughts to continue and that story to continue, we're basically giving away our power, giving away our happiness, giving away our health, and giving away the energy we need to use in the present for our healing and our happiness if we could learn how to redirect that energy that's kind of running in an unhealthy direction. Um, and so for me, it's been really empowering over the years, and it's a practice that I think we always have to practice. It's never like you get there and it's done. Is this practice of seeing that every day from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, I have a choice about how I think about whatever situation I'm thinking about and the quality of my thoughts about the situation either keep me trapped or set me free. And then, Elaine, I'm sure you'd agree, and most people would, would agree with this, uh, this statement if it's a conscious choice, is if I gave you two options, and the first option was you can choose to handle this and think about this in a way that leads to self-respect, or you can choose and handle this situation and choose to think about this situation in a, in a way that leads to uh, self-pity and feeling like the victim. You know, which one would you choose? And most people would say, of course, I'm going to choose that, that I would want to respect myself because no one actually wants to feel sorry for themselves. The only reason we tend to stay addicted to kind of like you were asking me about suffering in the beginning, we stay addicted to the victim consciousness and the story that surrounds feeling like a victim because most of us have only learned that way of getting love and getting attention and kind of manipulating our environment to say, I matter. You know, a lot of us in childhood, if we were hurt or sad or something was wrong, subconsciously, that's how we got love or that's how we got attention or that's how we got support. or That's how we got quality time. And we never learned how to love and value ourselves in a healthy way in a way where we give ourselves the love, the validation that we're seeking, which then results in self-respect. So instead, we come from this place of, um, you know, feeling disempowered because we, we never actually learned how to be empowered. And then we get stuck in these cycles and these stories and these patterns in our personal relationships, our intimate relationships, our familial relationships, where we're stuck in this kind of always wanting someone to, you know, um, care about us, all, you know, care more about our pain or say that they're sorry 
or um, you know, ask for forgiveness. And then a lot of us just stay stuck for years waiting for our parent, our partner, our friend to say that they're sorry or to change. And meanwhile, we're just stuck in this holding pattern where we're not really living our life. We're not healing those wounds. And then we're blaming and complaining about the person or the situation that in fact, we just don't know how to love and value ourselves around. And so for me, the key is how do I love and value myself in this situation so I'm not waiting on them and I respect myself for how I'm handling the situation. That was so good. I love what you just said there. And, you know, something I've thought a lot about is that fundamental education teaches us the basics that we need to know in society. So how to read, how to write, how to add and subtract or pay our bills or get a job. But, you know, there are all these additional tools we need to better understand who we are and why we think the way we do and what wounds we need to process and how to give and receive healthy love to ourselves and to other people. And I find it interesting that we go through years of education and yet nobody ever teaches us how to love and understand ourselves and other people and why it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Elaine, the truth is, is there's nobody, it's the same theme we were just talking about. There's no one to blame at the kind of highest perspective. So we can't even be the victims of this phenomena because the truth is, is that our parents never learned this, so they couldn't teach us. And their parents never learned this and they couldn't teach them. And our teachers and our even our therapists and our doctors, and if you're religious, your priest or your rabbi or you know your religious leader, they don't even know this. And I have found that, you know, a lot of spiritual teachings and personal development work points to certain aspects of it. But, you know, on my search for clarity around these answers, I didn't find those answers all in one very clear place, nor did I find a lot of people who embodied uh, that wisdom completely. And so, you know, in my journey, I was always, you know, I was looking for love. I was looking for purpose. I was looking for happiness. I was looking for enlightenment. And I would continually be disappointed by not seeming to find that in other people. And the lesson that arose was that I had to become what I was looking for. And I think we all have to become what we're looking for. So if you're looking for love, you have to become love. If you're looking for healing, you have to become healing. If you're looking for purpose, you have to become purpose. And, uh, you know, we can talk about the how of that. But this conversation and this idea that we're talking about right now is literally evolution in process in real time. So the conversation we're having is literally genetic, biologic, and the evolution of consciousness all happening in the present moment as we talk about it, because this is the lesson that is going to take us genetically, biologically, and in consciousness to the next step in our own life and collectively, you know, as, as a human family. Yeah. I want to reference what you're saying uh, with a quote from your book on page 80. You say, for those of us who often feel inadequate, insecure, undeserving or unworthy of love, 
we will constantly abandon and betray ourselves for the love of others to the point where we feel used, unappreciated, valueless, or worthless to those around us as well as to ourselves. Underneath these painful situations, however, is the empowering truth that we're not actually victims in any way. How can someone recognize if they're stuck in this victim mentality that you're talking about here? I think the most important thing, Elaine, is for us to ask ourselves in our current situations, are we valuing ourselves 100%? Because this is like the best, I think, uh, litmus test. So if you think about your personal relationships right now, your work situation, your life as it is today and this week, and you ask yourself, am I valuing myself 100% in every situation and relationship? And for most people, the answer to that question is going to be no to some degree in one situation or for some people in every situation. And then if we go a step deeper, so then the question is, well, what are you not doing? that would represent you valuing yourself? And the answer to that question is, if I were to value myself 100% in every situation and relationship, I would be express, I'd be expressing my emotions and my needs both honestly and kindly in every situation. I'd be acting in integrity or following my heart in every situation. I would be taking time and space for myself, for my self-care and, and just to be on a regular basis. I'd be taking care of my mind every day and on a regular basis. I'd be uh, valuing my time and energy on a regular basis, meaning you know, having healthy boundaries, saying no to people, fo- focusing on things that bring me joy or make me feel well. And I'd be taking care of my body on a daily and weekly basis. And if I'm not doing those things, then what I'm doing is I'm hurting myself. And so when you're not valuing yourself, you're not taking good care of yourself, you're not being true to yourself, you're hurting yourself. And so if you're hurting yourself on a daily basis, you are also letting yourself be hurt by other people. You probably let yourself be mistreated or spoken to in unhealthy ways because it's a reflection of how you're treating yourself on a daily and weekly basis. So of course, you are gonna feel like the victim in these situations and relationships. But the key to being free is to shifting the blame into personal responsibility. So not shifting the blame from outside to inside, which is the stage we typically go through, which is blaming, we go from blaming others to then blaming ourselves, but that's not productive either. So what we wanna do is just take responsibility for where we're and how we're not valuing ourselves. So the secret is to stop hurting yourself So you're not the victim of yourself anymore, meaning you're not the victim of your unhealthy thinking and you're not the victim of your fear, which means you're not the victim of your self-doubt, you're not the victim of your shame, you're not the victim of your guilt, you're not the victim of your insecurity. And the only way to do that is to understand exactly how to value yourself in the present and then do it even if you're scared and shaking. Yeah. You know, something I feel is really important to talk about in this context is, uh, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on this, is generational trauma. Because most of us, we we don't want to become like those people who have hurt us or who, those people whom we know have dysfunctional patterns, but yet somehow 
subconsciously they get repeated generationally or you know that saying we often give the love that we received even if it was dysfunctional uh, i'm curious to know your perspective on this and why you think this happens well i think it's a fact 100 percent, because we are shaped both by our genetics and by our environment and so let's say you if you if you spend the first 18 years of your life where your entire nervous system your body your energy body and your brain is being shaped by your experiences by the people around you then you can't avoid the influence of your mother your father your grandparents um, even sometimes the absence of that parent or a parent can shape who you believe yourself to be and the choices that you make and so there's literally no escaping any of this and Another way of looking at it is, let's imagine that you bake a cake and in the oven you put, let's say you spray a bunch of orange uh, essential oil in the oven, right? And it covers the, the dough and, and the, the batter as the cake is baking. Well, the, the cake is going to soak up that orange essence. When you take that cake out of the oven, you know, it's going to smell and taste like that orange uh, essential oil and that flavor and that smell so you can't help but soak up the energy and uh, the environment that you grow up in and so again this goes back to what I was saying before is that this is evolution we are meant to take on our parents stuff and our family's stuff and evolve the bloodline forward and so it's very natural to uh, repeat uh, habits and tendencies that your parents or people in your environment did even if you hated them about them typically you know I know a lot of people will be like you know I oh my god I hated this about my mother or my father and I have become them I have ended up just like right. them right but the you're you're already taking one step forward because they may not have been aware of that that this was a limiting habit for them or a limiting way of being but you're aware of it and you're like no i don't want to stay like this i want better i can do better i'm going to heal this i'm going to transform it and that is literally evolution in motion and so i think the most important thing elaine about this conversation because i come from a lot of suffering and a lot of self-destructive uh, people in my bloodline and I would say I'm one of I'm probably the first person in my bloodline that said I'm gonna try and have it stop with me and I always say this at my retreats you know I say to people you are here because you are the person that is saying this stops here this self-destructive relationship to myself and to life stops with me because I don't want to pass on the chain of pain to my children or to the people I love. And if I already have, I wanna do everything I can to heal that in this lifetime so that I set an example of someone who has taken responsibility for their suffering and the suffering that they've caused other people. And so the biggest practical thing to start to talk about is not to make these parts of ourselves or to make ourselves wrong, 
You know, we make ourselves wrong in so many ways. We judge ourselves for what we think. We judge ourselves for what we feel. We judge ourselves for how our body looks. We judge ourselves for what we've achieved or haven't achieved. And all of this is us making ourselves wrong. So again, the key is to to identify how do I love and value and take care of and be true to myself now in the present because that is the secret to healing the shame, to healing the inadequacy, to healing the dysfunction and becoming the best version of ourselves for ourselves and for the people around us. And so basically, it's like that saying, wherever you go, there you are. You cannot escape your genetic and environmental inheritance. It's like it's also like that saying, you know, you inherit the sins of your father. It's very true. You do because karmically you take on those lessons and that energy in some form to evolve your bloodline and to evolve humanity forward and it's part of the process. So I'd say I've learned not to fight it and to ride it and to not make it wrong and to accept it. It's like a lot of my strength comes from not being afraid of the dark. Don't be afraid of the dark. Um, There's a quote I love from Carl Jung where he says, I don't want to be good. I just want to be whole. And if you can accept both that loving light inside of you and that darkness, that pain, all the kind of sinful energies of fear and greed and lust, then you can work with them instead of denying them, pretending them they're not there, and then they come out and they hurt you and your life in unconscious ways because you've been denying and rejecting them. So I would say don't run from them, welcome them, explore them, explore all these parts of you. We are messy human beings and it's just the way it is. Yeah, and I think it's important to emphasize that when we do choose to heal ourselves, we're healing both backwards in time and forwards in time. There's a a beautiful quote I heard once. I can't remember the author's name, but the quote was something like, it's not your fault, but it's your turn. And I feel that some of the most important and meaningful work we'll ever do is to really kind of feel through our our deep wounds and to honestly look at our patterns and where they come from uh, and to own our healing journey. And I feel this comes to the heart of your message and the work that you do. But unfortunately, as you were sort of alluding to there, turning towards our wounds can feel like we're walking into a really dark space. And I think it's often one thing that will bring us to the space of healing and recovery. But then when we dig a little bit deeper, we realize there's a whole lot of other things sitting underneath and we start to see this complex web of wounds and how everything is so deeply connected. And so my question for you is, how do you believe that we can begin to heal this generational trauma? Do you think there's any specific things that we need to do in order to set that in motion? Yeah, absolutely. So the two most important things that come to mind are, I'll start with forgiveness So there's a lot of tools that we can use to help us forgive. And for the listeners, the most practical ones are if you've never written a letter to certain people in your life who have hurt you, I recommend writing a letter 
to everybody that you still hold heartbreak or hurt from and write a letter to them as though you're not going to give it to them so it doesn't have to be politically correct or edited and cleaned up and just get out all the hurt and all the anger. So basically say anything and everything you've never said in these letters and you're not going to give it to them so it doesn't matter if you're nasty. And even if someone has passed away, I would say write the letter to you know a loved one or anybody who's passed away that you never actually expressed everything to. And then after you've worked through that list of people who you feel have hurt you, then I would write a letter to everybody that you have hurt. And so again, you were, you're not going to give this to them at this stage, so it doesn't have to be perfect, but think about anybody who you've hurt, a family member, a lover, a partner, a sibling, and write a letter just saying, you know, I'm sorry that I did this to you or I said this to you and try to explain why and where it came from. And again, you can say, and if you feel like they did something horrible to you, and so that's why you did something horrible back to them, you can explain it, justify it, whatever you want to do, just get it all out. So those two sides of people who have hurt you and then people you have hurt um, is really powerful. And then once you've done that first draft, I recommend considering cleaning up each draft and actually giving uh, a letter to the people in your life saying, you know, expressing that you've been hurt and, and what happened and, and why it hurt you. Uh, and then on the other end, saying you're sorry and actually asking for amends, you know, trying to make amends with people who you have hurt and wronged or mistreated. And both are very humbling and both are very healing. Um, and then, Elaine, the second part, which is, <clears throat> I would say, more important and is really the secret to all of this and the secret to forgiveness, is that if we don't know how to value ourselves in the present right now with our habits and our thoughts on a daily basis, we're basically, like I was saying before, hurting ourselves every day and letting ourselves get hurt more every day. And what that means is we are adding new layers of pain and trauma every day to our emotional and energy body just because we don't know how to treat ourselves right in the present. So if you don't know how to love and value and take care of and be true to yourself today in every situation and relationship and tomorrow in every situation and relationship, you're creating so much more stuff that you can't even get to the deeper layer of things from the past that you need to get to, that you want to get to, because you keep damaging yourself in the present. And so the most important thing that's overlooked because it's so hard to identify and clarify and make practical and uh, you know digestible on a daily basis is to become your own best friend, to treat yourself with love, with kindness, with acceptance on a daily basis, which means going back to these habits I started to describe, which is start expressing your emotions honestly and kindly in every situation, even if you're scared. Start acting in integrity and following your heart, even if you're scared. 
Start taking time and space for yourself every day, every week, even if you're scared. Start taking care of your mind every day, every week. Start valuing your time and energy every day and every week. Start taking care of your body every day and every week. And we can go as deep as you'd like into how you do these things. But when you do that, you are treating yourself with love on a daily basis and you are exercising the love inside you from the inside out and this is a really beautiful thing elaine is that when you say what you need to say with kindness when you act in integrity when you take time for yourself when you take care of your mind when you take care of your body you are expressing the love the light the healthy healing energy inside of you from your core out through your body through your cells, through your tissues, literally. And it's that act of self-love expressing from the inside out instead of seeking from the outside in that literally heals you and washes away your pain from the inside out. But if you're not doing this, and instead of doing that, you're hurting yourself and letting yourself get hurt every day still, You can never get to that layer of stuff that you need to from your childhood and past heartbreaks because you keep just putting on another layer, putting on another layer that eventually one day you're going to have to go back and heal. So the secret to healing and the secret to forgiveness is to stop hurting yourself in the present and to stop letting yourself get hurt in the present. And so I would encourage you to do everything and anything you can as a listener to figure out how to do that yeah instead of turning away from the pain exactly sitting with it for a bit and feeling through it and peeling back some of those layers and i think one of the things that often gets you know talked about in the self-love you know self-love space is that self-love can be or self-care can be very selfish yeah and I, I know you talk a lot about this. I, I want to give you the space to, to express your thoughts on that. Absolutely. Well, so the truth is, is that we're all selfish. And nature was actually created and designed to thrive through a healthy form of selfishness that starts with self-preservation and then becomes survival and growth. Um, and so... We have this misunderstanding in our culture where we look at things like self-love and self-care as being selfish. And um, and then that obviously, as you know, becomes a block for a lot of people. Like I come across a lot of people who feel guilty for wanting to eat a salad or they feel guilty for wanting to go to a yoga class or they feel guilty for wanting to take some time for themselves. And I always ask them, if I wanted to eat a salad or go to a yoga class, or take some time for myself, or just talk about my emotions, does that make me a bad person? You know, does that make me a horrible person? And when you externalize it and you think about it objectively, it's like, no, of course not. But the reason why self-love has such a bad rap is because we've all learned what I like to call unhealthy selfishness. So for example, as a man, instead of me expressing my feelings in a healthy way, like I feel hurt or I feel angry or I feel insecure and talking vulnerably in this way, a lot of men learn to go get drunk and internalize and repress their emotions and their pain. 
and then they become insensitive or cold or mean or abusive. And then we call that person selfish and we call that, I would call that unhealthy selfishness. But because I never learned a healthy form of selfishness where I value my feelings and my needs and I talk about them, instead I learned what I call unhealthy selfishness and I go and I numb out in self-destructive ways and I become destructive to the environment around me all because I never learned this healthy form of selfishness that um, that is actually self-love and self-care that we all need to thrive. I like to th- use, uh, again, look to nature. If you think about an apple tree, right? If that apple tree doesn't selfishly take from the ground the water and nutrients it needs, and if it doesn't selfishly take from uh, the sun, the light, and energy that it needs, and if it doesn't take that carbon dioxide from the environment that it needs, there's no way that that apple tree could grow into this abundant uh, being, this abundant tree that then becomes of benefit to everything and everyone around it by offering oxygen and food and shade and a home for certain animals and wood for fire. And so it's only through that self-care that it becomes a benefit to the world around us. And so I'm sure you know everybody knows that if we're spread thin, we don't have time for ourselves, we're not sleeping well, we're not eating well, we're not talking about our feelings and our needs, we become resentful, we become bitter, we become reactive, we just are always stressed out, and then we're no good for anyone or anything. Yeah, I love that. It's such a great reminder, so important. Um, because especially in a relationship, we can lose ourselves by giving and focusing on the other person. I think that's so important to establish those healthy boundaries, to nurture ourselves so that we have a place to give from. And and I, actually, you did a post, um, I think it was in, on Instagram, you did a, a post about giving and receiving good and healthy love. Uh, I'm wondering if you can just speak into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely, Elaine. Um, thank you. You know, this is one of, this is one of, I think is one of the most important things to think about. And it gets a little tricky because intrinsically as humans, we all do want love and we all deserve it on some level. But in relationship, what I have found with a lot of people is this unconscious feeling of being entitled to good love. And I really like to draw this out because I think and I have observed that that's just not the way life works because you basically you give what you get and you or you get what you give and a lot of us live with this sense that we're just entitled to good love that you know someone is going to come around and love us unconditionally and treat us so well regardless of one how we treat ourselves and two how we treat others and it's just not the way it works so If you, let's say, have unhealed trauma, like we've been talking about, and unhealed pain, and that causes you to close down or react in a way where you say mean things or you say sharp things or you get defensive or you say and do things that you don't mean, for example, you don't realize that you are pushing away and sabotaging people that could be your greatest love and your greatest partner, but because there's that pain there, there's the unresolved 
wounds there and there's a lack of awareness of how to actually take care of love and take care of another person's heart because we haven't yet learned how to hold our own heart with unconditional love and unconditional acceptance and unconditional healing, it's so easy to sabotage the love that we say and believe that we're looking for, that we want in our life. And so the moral of the story is that we're not entitled to good love and we become truly worthy of good love when we learn how to love ourselves in a very deep, healthy way so that we treat ourselves with kindness, we treat ourselves with respect. Uh, we, we know that our needs and our feelings and our goals, our desires, or our calling matter. And then because we treat ourselves in that way, we then are going to be kinder to other people. We realize the importance of being sensitive and kind to other people. We realize the importance of honoring their needs and their feelings and their purpose or their calling. And so we learn to take care of other people's inner world in a much deeper and healthier way. And as we do that, we actually are giving a, a message to ourselves, to other people, to life, that we actually are worthy of the high quality relationships, both plutonic and intimate, that we want. And again, it's, it's such a big thing because I find so many people, they want more love in their life, either with a partner or a friend or their family. But going back to that theme I mentioned earlier, if you don't become what you're looking for, if you don't become a source of love, how are you going to attract it? You can't mistreat people and be an asshole or a bitch and then think that people are just going to love you unconditionally and be there for you no matter what. It's just not the way it works. And so the other part of this is that I have seen in people that if you mistreat yourself, you're going to get sick and you're going to be depressed but it, and alone. And then also, if you mistreat other people, we don't realize this, if you mistreat other people, meaning you take out your pain and your anger on other people and you mistreat them, you will also get sick you will also become depressed and you will also end up alone. And so the secret is figuring out how to take really good care of yourself so that your feelings, your needs, your desires and dreams matter so that you then treat other people in that way. You respect their feelings, you respect their needs, you respect their wounds, you respect their calling. And then when you treat other people that way, because you're now treating yourself that way, you're finally available to give and receive that healthy love that we're all craving. Such an important message. Mm -hmm. Blake, at the start of your, your book, you open, and I thought this would be a, a great way to wrap up today. You talk about this, this story of a butterfly, and I love this. And I'm wondering if you can share that with our listeners today as some parting wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. I would love that. Um, so I was in Australia at the time when I was writing the, the first edition of You Were Not Born to Suffer, and I was going through a hard moment in my life. Um, and I think if I look back in retrospect, I had some trauma coming up, and I was crying one day after having a fight with my partner. And I was outside um, in the fresh air afterwards like looking at these flowers, <clears throat> and there was this beautiful blue Ulysses butterfly, like on a flower. 
and I was watching it and it was so beautiful and I was just fully present and it basically snapped me out of the suffering I was in. It was like everything kind of just washed away. And, um, and after that moment, I went and basically just read everything I could find and read on butterflies, on, you know, their life cycle, you know, the, the evolution of butterflies, you know, different types of butterflies, etc. And I came across this story. And the story was that a woman who uh, wanted to watch these butterflies break out of their cocoon brought these two cocoons into her home. And she had set them up on a table by a window. And, you know, eventually after, I don't know how long of observing them, one of them started to make their way out of the cocoon and, and wiggle and, you know, bite and get their, get themselves out of the, you know, out of their shell that they had been living in for a while. And she just observed this first butterfly. And from her perspective, the butterfly really struggled and it was a, a very challenging process. And then eventually the butterfly did get out of its cocoon and it laid there on the table for a little while. And then eventually, you know, it started to use its wings and it was able to fly. And she, you know, had it on this um, table near the window with the window open and eventually the butterfly flew and, and, and it left. And the second butterfly had not yet made its journey out of the cocoon, it had started to, you know, try and get out. And so she, meaning well, went and got a razor blade and very, very gently, very, very delicately uh, sliced, you know, a line down the center of the cocoon and, and opened up the cocoon for the butterfly, trying to help the butterfly so it didn't have to suffer and struggle like the first one did to get out. And so the butterfly was alive and the, the, the cocoon was open and it laid there for a while, just like the first butterfly did but this second butterfly never got up and it never flew and eventually it died and she was very confused about why this happened and so she went to a friend of hers who happened to be a biologist and asked this friend you know why this had happened and her friend explained to her that the struggle that a butterfly goes through as it's pushing its wings up against the inside of the cocoon to get itself out actually forces this liquid that lives inside the butterfly's body cavity, the center of its body, the struggle forces this liquid out into the tiny capillaries in the butterfly's wings. So while it's pushing and struggling to break free and get out, this liquid is traveling through the capillaries to the tips of the wings, making the wings strong enough for its life of flight. And so the moral of the story in nature was that these butterflies can't fly without the struggle. And I loved that because I had and have, ha have experienced so much pain and suffering in my own life, but that is what gave me the strength to figure out how to heal and how to live as a free and full expression of who I really am. And that's what to me the butterfly symbolizes for us is a soul that's fully expressed, that's living as a free and full expression of who and what it really is. And so, you know, for the listeners, Elaine, I would just like to, you know, leave that thought with everybody is that, you know, could you look at your suffering as a cry from your soul 
asking you to love and value yourself more because that's going to produce this strength for you to leave the relationship you need to leave or leave the job you need to leave or look at the pain or the wound or the trauma that maybe you haven't felt safe or ready to look at. And I promise you that if you can look at life from this perspective, that my suffering is a cry from my body, from my soul, from my subconscious mind, asking me to treat myself with more love, more kindness, to treat other people with more love and more kindness, that you will and we always will find the strength to enjoy our lives, to just feel better, find that relief that we're looking for in a healthy way that doesn't create more problems for us. I think it's such a great reminder and a reminder that we shouldn't wait for somebody to come around and save us and to to release us from our pain, that we have everything we need in order to work through that. I think it's such a powerful message. It really stayed with me when I was reading the book and I'm, I'm so excited for people to get their hands on this book. We're gonna have links in the show notes Blake, I want to thank you so much for taking the time today. The work that you're doing is so important, and I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you. Oh, thank you, Elaine. Thank you so much for having me. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope you'll join us next time. Mindful Matters is written, hosted, and recorded by me, Elaine Clark. Special thanks to Karen Zorzi, our editor, Tawny Stoiber for the artwork, and our theme music by Bellwoods. If you can, please leave us a review. It helps others discover the show, and we really appreciate it. Let's keep these conversations going over at Blue Matter Project. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. I will stand here and shout.